Hello, and welcome to Tea with Mama Cash, because feminist activism works. I'm Zora, the executive director at Mama Cash, and our co-host today is my colleague Erica Mandreza Sales, program officer for environmental justice at Mama Cash. Hello, Zora. Very happy to be here with you. Erica, do you want to introduce yourself with a little something something about yourself? Sure. I'm Erica. It's still November. I'm very happy about this month. I feel that my birthday celebrations hasn't ended, so that's what's making me happy now. Nice. Uh, for me, I'm enjoying actually looking forward to the end of the year because I feel like it's been a very busy year. So we've just got a few weeks left to go and I'm ready for it. Today we're going to be talking about climate change and why it's a feminist issue. So thanks for joining us, Erica. As those of you who follow us closely may have noticed, in October we did a true-false quiz in our Instagram stories on facts about climate change and gender. We're going to go through the quiz now and reveal the answers. So get ready. Drum roll. Drum roll. <laughs> First question. The environmental crisis affects men and women differently. True or false? 87% of you said true. 13% said false. And the answer is that it is, in fact, true. There is a difference in how the crisis is affecting women and men. And we're going to talk a lot more about that and um, a little bit about why Mama Cash therefore works on this issue. Question number two. Countries in the global south contribute the most to climate change. Responses, 19% said yes and 81% said no. The answer is actually false. And in this episode, we're, go we're going to discuss more about the disparities and equalities that... Um, that are in the issue of climate change? For, the, for me, these first two questions are, are a little bit predictable. Did you, do, you, do you find that too, Erica? Like, were you surprised at the answers? Mm, not very surprised. It's quite, it's quite obvious that um, countries of the North would have produced more of the emissions than countries of the South. But sometimes we see narr different narratives about it that the polluters would be coming from the global south and most of the problems are there. Yeah, and I think for me where this comes up is this idea of when people talk about overpopulation in the global south as being a problem because of its contribution to climate change and just knowing that actually the major contribution is coming from the global north even though there may be increasing populations in different countries in the global south and that really isn't what's making the big difference. So for me it's quite important to know this when we're then having other kinds of conversations. Question number three. Just 100 companies have been the source of more than 70% of the world's greenhouse gas emissions since 1988. What do you think, Erica? True. <laughs> In fact, 90% of you said true and 10% said false. And the answer is true. This statistic for me complicates things even further um, related to the question we just talked about around countries because actually 20 companies in the world contribute uh, about a third of the emissions and those companies are based in different countries in the world. They operate in countries where they might be producing the emissions but they're headquartered and the decisions, um, the people behind the decisions that are creating the emissions are actually located potentially in other countries. So for instance, you might have a country 
uh, you might have a company, sorry, that is based in the US and then it's operating in another country producing all the emissions. And so it might show up as the emissions being in the global south because that's where the company is operating. But actually the folks behind the decisions about what kinds of emissions should be produced and how many are somewhere else altogether. Next question. 67% of people displaced by climate change are women and girls. What do we think? Many responded yes, but this is a trick question. It is actually false. More than 67% of people displaced are women, and it's more than that. It's actually 80%. So I guess people were a little bit on the right track. Mm -hmm. 95% of people thought yes, and 5% thought no. And they probably just thought, well, 67, that's kind of an an odd and very specific number, so it must be true. (laughs) But it's definitely true that it's a lot more. Question number five. Women comprise 30% of the agricultural labor force globally. What do you think, Erica? What would you have thought about this? I would think more. More than 30%. Why? I'm just thinking about our many partners who are in Africa and a lot of them are really working in agriculture so and they always um, share with us that a lot of women are really directly involved in agriculture so I'm imagining that it would be more than this Mm. so 68% of people those of you who responded thought yeah it's must be about that and 32% said no and the answer is it, it is false. It's actually higher. It's 43%. So you were right, Erica. I don't know what I would have thought about that, actually. I don't I don't think of it in terms of that. But you're right. There are. I do know that lots and lots of women are food producers. Yeah. And this next question also relates to that um, question. Less than 13% of agricultural landowners are women. Many responded, yes, indeed, it is true that less than 30% are landowners. So it's just very, it's, you can already see the inequality there and the irony that though many women are directly involving agricultural labor force, they don't enjoy their right to own lands. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's related to the, the final question that uh, we asked, which was, um, do we think what do we think the average representation of women is in climate negotiating bodies? And the question was, um, the the average is below forty percent, true or false? And almost one hundred percent, ninety eight percent of people responded that yes, they think it's below forty um, percent, and two percent responded no. And this is another trick question. And this is our colleague Sophia Sewell who made this up, and she just likes to trick everybody. So um, it's both true and not correct. The number is actually below 30%, so it's even worse. Less than 30% of women um, are represented in climate negotiating bodies. And these are the bodies that are making the decisions about um, environmental policy that's going to affect all of us in the future. So quite problematic that it's such a low number. So this takes us to why we're having this talk today about women, the environment, climate change. We're going to take a quick break, and after that, we're going to get into the bigger picture that these facts illustrate. So stay tuned. So, Erica, why do you think climate change is a feminist issue? I think this is the question we want to answer in this episode. Why do feminists give a damn? Why do feminists care? Feminists care because 
the climate crisis really calls for social justice. And we care when we see descriptions or discussions on climate on climate change that do not really describe the inequalities and injustices that happen around the world. As we always hear, as we know, all of us are affected, but many people are more affected. And we also know or we also read from from the news that many environmental defenders are at risk or are being killed. But women, girls, and trans environmental defenders face more gender-based violence. And that is why feminists think that the climate crisis right now is a feminist issue. As we discussed earlier as well, um, it's very clear no, that even if all of us are affected, still women and girls are the ones more that are more displaced and women are really not in the negotiation tables and they don't enjoy their decision-making roles. And though many women play a key role in agriculture, they don't have the right to own their own lands. And these are why we, we care about this issue. It's really about a lot of people who are not responsible for the crisis or are not making the big decisions about why the environment is being um, destroyed are the ones who are more affected. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was thinking also about the kind of, there's um how to make the links between some of the bigger systemic um, questions around, yeah, for example, how land ownership happens or well, things, even things like what do we, what gets made in a factory and what's available for us to buy. And we talked about this in the consumer episode and who's behind, who's driving some of those decisions and marketing to us and then who benefits from that and who doesn't. And the real drive towards um, profit making and making some people rich off the back of some decisions that are really problematic um, and are destroying the planet I mean that's the short version of it Um, and because feminists are you made a really interesting point when we were prepping for this episode are concerned with power that's kind of the central point of what we're doing and this is this is what this is about who has the power to make the decisions who has the power to shape the world in the ways that they want and who does that affect positively or negatively and we can we can look at things like capitalism or kind of big things that seem really big in our minds and we can then look at facts like the 100 companies or the 20 companies that are making the, the major decisions about how these whole systems work. When we look at the issue of climate change and environmental degradation, those we, we when, when people decide that we wanted something for, for profit or we want something for economic growth, they also decide about those people who are going to be not valued or those who are going to be I also learned this from our partners who are going to be sacrificed so it's not it's not a coincidence that some countries are more affected than others because it's okay let let's it's okay let's not let's not think about them or within countries some areas are more polluted because it's all right to do that or if someone's in the way of of progress and development, it's okay if we displace indigenous peoples because they're in the way anyway of development. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was thinking about that um, when you were just talking about, and that's an interesting word choice to use the word sacrificed, right? Um, and who's 
whose interests, whose dreams, whose lives matter and whose don't in some of these big decisions. And this idea that there's just a few people, really. It's a, it is a small number of people who are making um, decisions that affect whole systems. And I think that's another reason why it matters for feminists is we need systemic change. We need, um, we're past kind of making micro changes. We actually need a full systems overhaul. And that's the core of what feminists are after too, is kind of deep rooted structural change. I do think it's interesting to think about how feminist movements are aligned with, for example, indigenous people's movements that have been resisting um, the kinds of projects that are creating the problems that we're now confronted with for centuries, right? And their resistance has um, has cost them everything. They've put their lives on the line always around defending their territories, defending their livelihoods, defending their ways of being and living and moving in the world, and how dismissive we've been collectively as a as you know as humanity, um, not not about individuals of us, but like collectively. Uh, around some of that, not taking that seriously, not appreciating it, and not recognizing the wisdom in other ways of relating to our planet. And we're trying now to shift some of that, um, and that's great. Uh, but I just, yeah, I find it, um, I don't know what the word is. It's like how to, how to get through to those few number of people when, um, I don't know, they seem so disinterested and how can feminists get through to them? And I'm just wondering, can there be more alliance building be done between these indigenous movements that have been um, doing doing this forever and feminist movements who are getting more and more on top of um, environmental justice issues, you know, responding to the climate crisis and things like this. How can we build bridges there and build alliances across across our different movements? What do you think about that? I'm not sure what the answer is to get into those small number of people making decisions about about certain things because if they're so sold out on the idea that we can just keep growing and we can just keep repleting all the resources of the planet for for money that if they're so sold out on that I'm not sure what else can convince them unless there's already like a cli- like a climate collapse like for them to re- like at face value see that 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 the model of economic growth that they have is really yeah it's really fail not only failing other people but failing them like if it's if it really if they really feel the the destruction that's happening in the environment then i think that way they'll be convinced because yes as as the climate crisis that we're experiencing right now and also the environmental crisis that we have they don't experience that. It's it's those people who are losing their islands, who are flooded, who are whose forests are being burnt, are the ones who are experiencing it. Unless the decision makers, unless the decision makers really really feel the the graveness of the issue, that that they're digging their graves because of what they're doing for profit, then it might convince them. But I'm not sure. We basically need some kind of home swap program for. For this to work, to really have them confront and face what's happening. It's time for feminist mishaps, because nobody's perfect and we're all human. Today we have a mishap from our colleague Emma. When she heard about feminist mishaps, this is what she offered us. Do you mean like 
when some kid in the playground asked me if I was a daddy or a mummy, and I said, why do you ask? And he said, because you have short hair and daddy pants. And I could only blurt out with li a little too much aggression. Damn right. I bet your mom has a blonde ponytail and pink dresses. I, of course, apologized. And then I f quickly feigned a crisis at the trampoline I urgently needed to attend to <laughs> and got out of there. That just made me laugh. Daddy pants. <laughs> <laughs> Erica, do you have any mishaps? Not a mishap. But a funny remark. Okay, so I was um, I was seeing this person, and it was on our second date, and we were walking by the beach, and I don't know for some weird reason we started talking about daring each other to do things, and he said, "Oh, I'm not a pussy," and then he started laughing, and I'm like, "What's what's wrong with that? You just came from one," and I was like, "That's not what I meant. That's what you mean. What's wrong with pussies?" It's not a mishap, but it's a remark. It's you being a feminist in the face of other people's mishaps. That's what it sounds like to me. And he never said pussy again in, in, in that way. Do you have a feminist blunder of your own? Send us your confessions anonymously if you wish, and we may share it on a future episode. You can reach us on Twitter at MamaCash or via email at t at mamacash.org. So, Erica, we've been talking a lot about climate change and the climate crisis um, and climate catastrophe and other serious and rather scary sounding concepts. Um, but I wanted to talk to you a little bit about another concept, which is environmental justice, because that's that's what we talk about when we're at Mama Cash. And I wonder, in your in your view, what is the difference actually between climate change and environmental justice? The main change would be uh, environmental justice, really look at the, the justice part and the social component of of environmental degradation and injustices. And climate change is is part of that, of what we're doing to the environment and what, what inequalities and injustices are happening around that issue. And at Mama Cash, we are specifically committed to supporting environmental justice groups because they're at the front lines of defending their environment, their territories, and their communities. And they have, yeah, they've been building alternatives to the unsustainable ways we're functioning right now that are leading to, that have led to the climate crisis that we're experiencing. So climate change is like a piece of environmental justice. Um, but if we only focused on climate change and climate, the climate crisis, we wouldn't necessarily solve the injustices, the environmental injustices that happen. But we wouldn't have a climate crisis if we were, if we had an environmentally just approach. So it's like environmental justice is a kind of bigger umbrella and helps us solve many things of which the climate crisis is one and is a manifestation and a direct result of climate injustice. I agree because if if we have an environmental just world, we've taken into account, for example, that it is intergenerational, that we consider that resources are limited or its or the planet's capacity to renew resources are limited. And we recognize that people aren't the center of everything, but people are in relationship with nature. So if if we've solved that and we're an environmental just world, I don't think we'll even have climate change because 
we are we we are recognizing that we need to take care of nature that it's we cannot just do everything that we want for for economic growth and for profit mm-hmm. so maybe could you share a little bit about the kinds of partners that mama cash works with to because you mentioned like earlier in the episode you were mentioning quite a bit like oh we have partners to do this and you've learned from our partners that have done that maybe you could share a little bit about yeah some of the partners you work with through the portfolio the environmental justice portfolio at mama cash Sure, we are really supporting um, inspiring inspiring groups and there's so much to learn from them. We are supporting the indigenous women leaders and organizations of Bai Indigenous Women's Network. They're based in the Philippines and they're resisting development aggression and militarization in the country. As we may know that the, the, the southern part of the Philippines is in martial law. They're also fighting for indigenous women's leadership and participation decision-making on policies that affect indigenous women and the environment. We are also supporting the Rural Women's Assembly in South Africa, and they advocate for agroecology, climate resilient agriculture, and local green economy. Meanwhile, in Bolivia, we are supporting the indigenous mestiza and peasant women of Red Nacional de Mujeres and Defensa de la Madre Triera, or Renamat, from the provinces of Oruro, La Paz, and Potosi, and they are defending their territories and fighting for the rights of the Mother Earth. Most of the environmental justice groups we support are really fighting for their basic rights to have good life and well-being. And we're also supporting activists in Oceania and in Europe. Thanks. I find it interesting that um, the examples you chose are kind of national, no? And yet we know actually, like, for example, the one that's in South Africa, I know it's linked to a regional network. And I, I think... Yeah, that's quite important to highlight also that the issues that um, our partners are working on, mm, some of the direct manifestations of what they're working on may be happening at a local level or a national level, but often they're mobilizing at other kinds of levels. And it takes that mobilization at multiple levels. So also working at the regional level, networking with other groups in other countries, um, working at the international level, doing different kinds of work, advocacy or direct action or whatever it is, different methods. That's all really important to um, have a kind of variety of approaches because, yeah, the types of challenges that they're facing are complex and require a kind of multi-pronged approach. So many of the environmental defenders that we support are also at risk sometimes at the local level and national level, and they also find it more powerful to collectively organize with groups who are in different countries because when together and you have a regional platform then you can advocate more Mm -hmm. yeah and i guess also if you're being targeted by your national government if you can gain a profile outside your country it might be more difficult for your national government um, to challenge you or or to, to shut you down basically because there'll be international scrutiny for example um, and we know that can be helpful in some cases for some of the women human rights defenders that we work with, with some of the activists. They really look to having an international profile to uh, make sure that their government governments can't act against them with impunity. So, Erica, we have a, a very special program that we work on within the portfolio that you lead on environmental justice with a, a funny name, <laughs> with the name of Gaga. Can you tell us a little bit about Gaga? So GAGA is the Global Alliance for Green and Gender Action. It is a global program that is led by EFECAM based in Nicaragua in collaboration with Mama Cash and both ends 
based in the Netherlands. And it's bringing together different partners and activists from the women's rights movement and environmental justice movement. When we had our meeting, um, I had coffee with Mighty Smith, the coordinator of GAGA, and I asked her to share more about GAGA and what it stands for. So for this part of the podcast, we're shifting from tea with Mama Cash to coffee with Gaga. Mm-hmm. So right now, while we're enjoying our coffee and having our annual planning for Gaga, for our listeners, can you please share what Gaga is all about and what Gaga stands for? Sure. So uh, the Global Alliance for Green and Gender Action, so the so what Gaga stands for, um, is an alliance uh, that has been... Um, yeah, developed uh, to, by three organizations. So FECAM, so the Fondo Centroamericano de Mujeres, or the Central American Women's Fund, mm-hmm. um, at the lead. Mm-hmm. And then working together with both ends, uh, a Dutch-based environmental justice organization, but with a global reach, um, and Mama Cash, which is also an organization based in the Netherlands, but working at a global level as a women's fund. Um, this is... Uh, an alliance where these three organizations came together with the the intent of really catalyzing the power that we see in women's movements and also environmental justice movements and bringing them together because we feel that when they come together, the struggles and the fights can be much stronger, stronger. particularly for women's rights to water, to food security, and generally to a healthy, clean, and safe environment. I truly am proud to work for this alliance um, because it has such a big reach. So we work in over 30 countries across Latin America, Africa, and Asia. Um, But also what I think is most interesting about this alliance is how we're working with different types of actors and different types of partners to really reach um, and support uh, different local community-based groups, collectives, environmental defenders, activists, um, that are fighting for women's rights um, in relation to clean water, food, land, so an array of, of topics, right? And an array of issues. Um, we work with uh, global, regional, and national women's funds and environmental justice funds, and we also work with um, many NGOs who have a lot of the environmental technical knowledge or kind of um, looking at, um, yeah, like legal expertise that is needed when you're fighting for these rights, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, so I think it's it's a great organi- uh, great alliance to work for. Yeah, as you said, you're proud to be part of Kaga. I'm also proud to be part of Kaga. And the other day, we were just also sharing about what our dreams are mm-hmm. and moving forward with Kaga. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else you want to share? Yeah, definitely. And and I mean, linking it to that conversation we had about how we would see this in the future, right? Um, so the reason why we, we believe in this and why we've created this alliance and, and are moving forward with all these partners is that we strongly believe that women in their own communities um, have the knowledge and the vision for change, Mm -hmm. particularly when we're seeing that we need systemic change, um, when we're facing such all these environmental crises that we see across the world, right? And I remember in my vision, I was just very much seeing this power shift where it is the women-led community, women in their communities and and the Leading. leading their communities, but also just that we were living in this beautiful, world where it's green there's water it's clean and people are living kind of 
you know, in harmony, it's kind of, it sounds a bit <laughs> um, out there, but I truly believe that by shifting it and getting the power back to where the decision-making should be made, which is with women in their communities and with their communities, I feel like that, that would create such a different society and, and world that we live in. So, yeah, that's definitely why we're doing this yes so <laughs> yeah thank you for sharing that your vision and your dreams and also what gaga is about yeah Thanks. no problem and thank let's you. continue enjoying our coffee <laughs> indeed <laughs> as mighty mentioned gaga is led by fcam in collaboration with us in both ends I also want to add that in Gaga, we also work closely with the Global Green Grants Fund and Prospera, or the International Network of Women's Funds. If you want to learn more about Gaga, go to mamakash.org and find it under Special Initiatives on our workpage. In Gaga, we have examples of initiatives that brings, to brings together different groups working at various levels. First example is that there's the Women in Mining in Asia and they were able to go to an international space at the UN Forum for Business and Human Rights and really share the claims and demands of women in their local countries. We also have different groups in Latin America coming together and organizing a campaign on women in water. And more recently, we have different partners from different regions coming together and organizing for the Conference of Parties. And these are all made possible because we have a global program that provides these linkages and also support for groups to come together and go to regional international spaces. I think it's really important that that possibility exists also because it's a, it's a funny thing to be respecting borders in the way we fund or organize when we're talking about something like the environment, which doesn't respect borders, right? So rivers run across borders, forests run across borders, and um, it doesn't help us to to manage them or to make sure that um, the environment is able to thrive when we're, you know, arguing about borders and contesting them. One example of where I think Gaga really came into its own was um, when we were able to work together to um, stop an action that had been really problematic and creating huge problems. So there was a, a dam that was operating in uh, a part of Honduras that was very negatively affecting and really destroying parts of an indigenous community in Honduras. And that dam, part of it was being financed actually by the Dutch Development Bank, which is um, publicly owned. 50% of it is publicly owned. And um, we knew what was happening because we had partners in the country and because Efakam, who works works with us in Gaga, um, also knew the partners and Mama Cash also knew the partners and also both ends knew the partners and we heard that this was happening. We were able to do something about it because um, each of the partners in the the kind of alliance members in Gaga, so Efakam in Nicaragua and both ends in Mama Cash in in the Netherlands, we we were all connected with some of the partners in Honduras, and we had this link um, to the Dutch Development Bank because we were based in the Netherlands, and so we were able to mobilize solidarity and really connect between ourselves to hear what was actually happening to that community uh, in real time, and then what could we do here and have the conversations directly with people here in the Netherlands. And it was such an important moment to be able to lend that support and that solidarity and work together. And eventually what we were able to do is stop the financing for the dam and shut the dam 
eventually we're going to shut the dam down. That's the goal. But for now, it's it's not funded and the dam had to stop operating. Um, and that was a hugely significant win for the Indigenous community that had been resisting and fighting this project for so long. That kind of action shows the importance of really being able to make the links between where companies or where it goes back to our quiz right at the start of who's making the decisions about what companies will be doing and they're not located in the countries where things are then happening. So those companies are operating in, in countries in the global south, for example, but the decisions are being made in other countries, possibly in the global north. And how can you make those links also through our activism? So the companies have those links because of how they operate, but how can activists also make our links between ourselves to know who are the architects behind certain decisions, who are making the decisions about how these companies will operate that then have impacts for others of us, other activists in other places, and how can we have solidarity with each other and work together to to change how this all works. Thanks for listening. You can find Mama Cash on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or at www.mamacash.org. And you can find Tea with Mama Cash on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. If you think what we do is important and you want to help us support women, girls, trans, and intersex activists around the world, there are many things you can do. You can, of course, donate via our website. You can rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher to help us reach more people. Or better yet, you can recommend Tea with Mama Cash to a friend who cares about feminism too. You can always reach us with questions, feedback, or ideas at tea at mamacash.org. These are your hosts, Zora Musa and Erica Mandresa Sales, signing, signing off, off until, until the, the next time. time. This podcast was produced by Amanda Gigler, Mike Mirkovich, and Sophia Sewell, our colleagues at Mama Cash. And of course, a special thanks to our colleague Erica for joining us today.